All right, welcome everybody. Hey, Rachel. Um, welcome to Bucure Baptist Church. See, we said it was ish, right? It's, it's like 1030-ish. We, we made it close. Um, but welcome everybody. Uh, the music's still playing because Phil is uh, working on the wonderful ministry But we do have a few announcements this morning. One, welcome to this group from Georgia Tech who's here today. Really glad to see y'all. Uh, y'all, please, we, we do have several prayer requests, and, and you're welcome to help me with this. But um, I've been praying. Just I'm super glad that Jake and Sarah are here this morning. So Jake is um, with us this morning leading worship as part of a um, co-discernment process about whether or not uh, he's going to help us lead worship here at the church. So we've been praying a lot about today, and we're very grateful to have so many people join us in that prayer today. And then um, also, y'all please, I'm very distracted this morning. Y'all please pray for my wife. Everybody's fine, but she called me this morning. She got in a wreck on the way to church. So, um, okay, so they'll be here in 10 minutes. That, that makes my heart a little better. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and there's so many other prayer requests that we could talk about. Um, but those are, those are two that are just on my, on my heart, on my mind this morning. Let us... Um, go to, hey, Patty, good morning. Um, yeah, so trying to sort through my own thoughts right now. Tomorrow, uh, denominationally, there is a meeting tomorrow of our Baptist Association where we have uh, Dr. Jared Wilson speaking. Uh, if you don't know Dr. Wilson, he is a professor at, I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to say Southwestern. Is that right? Might be right. It's about 50% possible. Uh, but he's also a prolific author. So if you know uh, the book, The Explicit Gospel, if you know the book, uh, The Prodigal Church, uh, these are books that he's written. He's going to talk with us about some of his more recent work about grace-driven church metrics, which here in New Orleans is vitally important. You know, like if you look at us, for example, we can't fit more than like 50 people in this building, right? So looking at church size, looking at church growth, that's not going to be a real helpful metric for us to determine how well we are doing in our faithfulness in following Christ and our mission here in New Orleans. So how, how do we look at that? How do we measure um, not just how our church is doing and, you know, shaping our idea of success after a biblical image of that, uh, but also, how do we have grace uh, for ourselves? How do we have grace for ourselves as ministers, ourselves as congregants and church folk here in Nola? How do we have grace on Tommy, you know? Just tease Tommy. Great Britain. Did the best book ever read, bro. That's a good one. <laughs> so y'all can join in that tomorrow. It's 530 at Calvary Baptist Church, and that's on the West Bank of New Orleans. And if you don't know how to get there, ask Meg. Uh, there's a bridge involved, but you'll be fine. You can make it over. You can do it. Uh, we also have small groups uh, Tuesday and Wednesday this week. Tuesday, we're back in my house. Praise the Lord, because my wife is, is recovered um, from her illness last week. So back at, back at my house this Tuesday and then Wednesday as well. Let's move now uh, into a time just to worship. Let me pray for us. Father God, there are so many things in this world that distract us from you, Lord. So many reasons why we cannot or should not come to you in worship. God, and there's a couple just really good reasons why we should. Lord, because you are worth our time, God. You are worth our worship. Lord, you are good. And spending time in your house is good, better than a thousand days spent elsewhere, God. It is good to come and hear from your word, God, because a word of wisdom spoken in secret places is better than the shouting of rulers among fools. God, I pray that we could divest ourselves of anything and everything that would distract us this morning, God. I pray that as Jake leads, and I know this is a a nervous moment for, for us. God, I pray that that would disappear. 
God, that you would, in your Holy Spirit, move us to worship in spirit and in truth. God, that regardless of what comes out of my mouth this morning, God, my inabilities as a communicator, my emotions being scattered, Lord, I pray that what you would teach us, what people would hear, is your truth and your word. And I pray that we would listen, that we would participate expectantly, God, hoping to be changed as though we had an opportunity to hear directly from you, God, hoping to be set free. Lord, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name so we know you hear us. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, today is the third Sunday in the season of Lent. Last Sunday, during our readings, we focused on hearing this call for repentance of, during the Lenten season as an invitation from God to come under the shelter of his wings. We heard Jesus saying how he longs to gather his children under his wings like a mother hen gathers her chicks, and how for us that requires walking out of the places that we have built to shelter ourselves that will not shelter us but letting go of those places and walking out into God's presence and to come under his wing and so this week we are focusing on this call for repentance as a call to come to God's table to come to his feast to find life to find nourishment to find strength to find healing and a call to stop spending our time, our money, our energy, ourselves, to stop spending ourselves chasing after things that will never satisfy us, that will not give us life, that will not heal us, and will not make us new, and to come instead to the life that God offers when he offers us his very self for our healing, for our renewal, for our eternal life. So as this season, my prayer for myself and for all of us is that we learn to judge, judge wisely, to judge truly the value of the things that we spend ourselves on. Do they actually bring us healing? Do they actually bring healing and hope and love to those around us? Are they actually the things of God which are the only things that will truly satisfy us and give us hope. And if they're not those things, why is it so hard for us to let them go? Maybe if we see them for what they truly are and see God for what God truly is, it will be easier for us to let go of the things that do nothing for us and to chase full-heartedly after the only things that give us hope. So whoever has our first reading this morning from Isaiah, would you please stand and read for us? Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 9, says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall cast nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Mr. Joshua. Good morning, church. Good morning, Good morning. I'll be reading from the first book of Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, 
that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all was baptized into Moses in the clouds and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, thou was not grieved for most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. And these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them did, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. It was not indulged in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. It was not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And do, not, and do not complain, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. These, these things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us, as any of the angels have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. With the testing, you will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. Amen. Please pray with us. God, our deliverer, our provider, our sustainer, you offer yourself to us through the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. You welcome us to your table to feast on that which truly gives life. Yet we spend our money, our energy, our lives on that which never satisfies. We fill ourselves with the evil we desire rather than emptying ourselves to be filled by you. Forgive us, O Lord. Call us again to your table and help us to listen so that we may live. Brothers and sisters, believe and have hope. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Return to the Lord that he may have mercy on you and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Through him you are forgiven. You are welcome. You are loved. Let us rejoice together and give praise to the Lord. His steadfast love is better than life. God of infinite goodness, throughout the ages you have persevered in claiming and reclaiming your people. Renew for us your call to repentance. Surround us with witnesses to aid us in our journey and grant us the time to fashion our lives anew through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. <coughs> Church, as we get ready to stand, we'll end up standing or sitting as you're comfortable. Uh, let's focus on God who loved us so much that He did the unthinkable to redeem us to Himself, something that we could never, that we could never accomplish. And He loved us so greatly, He considered us of such value that He was willing, in His great love, to come down for us. So let's sing together on the song. What gifts of grace Jesus died
God did so much for us and so great he is but even in all of those moments he's also not a far off God right? he's one who, who understands our struggles one who understands our pains as well
Before we start, really, I want to celebrate a little bit just some of the things I'm seeing God do in our church and in our community. I don't know about you, but to me, it's so good to have Jake and Sarah and Rena with us this morning. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, that made my heart glad. I I love in in both of you, and, and I'm still figuring out who Rena is, and I think I'm still figuring out who Rena is. But in the two of you, I, I just so appreciate um, your creativity and your love for Christ and the people around you, and your thoughtfulness in that. And y'all probably don't know this, but I asked Jake to lead for us once before. We this was supposed to be uh, the second time that we saw him, but instead of Jake coming to lead for us, Hurricane Ida hit. Yeah. It's wild to think about that. And it's wild to think about how God is able to move always in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our stopping. He never stops working. 
And I hope y'all are able to see and understand how faithful God is to our church. I know many of y'all are visitors today, and I'm very glad to have y'all welcome uh, from Atlanta. But God has given us musicians here. I've been a part of churches that sing to YouTube clips and tracks, and that's, that's great. I mean, there's beauty in that, but God, the ability to worship with, alongside people who understand music and can, can worship God in that way and use that gift and ability to, to worship Him is incredible. Um, we have people who understand deeply liturgy and worship formation and prayer and are able to bring those talents and gifts to us here. Like, even when Meg's not here, these beautiful liturgies just appear in my inbox, you know? Uh, and we're able to, to go through them in, on the Sunday service. We have people who pray in our congregation deeply and passionately and consistently. And last week, too, in our kids' meeting, you know, I'm looking around, realizing that my family's at the beginning of opening our home up again for foster care. And I'm looking around at who comprises our childcare team and it's trauma-informed parents and professional teachers and Phil. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I'm very glad to introduce myself this morning as, as a pastor here uh, since we ordained Phil last week. I've been praising God for Phil agreeing to come alongside, even though this is just one of many steps that we need to take to recognize the calling and the giftedness of people in our church. I, I want to tell you my hope. I already mentioned fostering because I know that's something that we have in common with Jake and Sarah. Uh, Annalise and I strive for our family, our, our home, to be a place of healing. You know, so often children coming from hard places, usually into the foster care system, they've had these events, these years of their lives, these, these short periods of time that then affect the rest of the trajectory of their life. And... I wonder if our family can be a similar period of time, even if it's only for a year, even if it's only for a month, a period of time that can also affect the trajectory of a person, but for good and for healing. And when I think about that, creating trust and connection for healing and preparation for all of what life will bring, and even as we do that imperfectly, I think about our church. My goal and my prayer is that our church family would be that way too. That we would be a church who recognizes and celebrates giftedness and calling. A church who disciples and prepares people to labor in the kingdom here or elsewhere, whether we have 10 years with them or six months or just one Sunday for someone visiting. That we would be able to church that allows people to trust that benefits people rather than uses people, and that can launch them into wherever God calls them next. I'm also already very much looking forward to my friend, uh, Pastor Thomas Glover, coming and preaching for us next week. He has been living and working as a pastor here in New Orleans for decades, uh, and has aided in the planting of several churches, one of which was the first black church in the Southern Baptist Convention in Louisiana. He has expressed to me a deep appreciation for this congregation and our work in the city, and God has given him, he told me, a special word for him to preach. And so I'm very excited for that next week. I hope you'll be back for that. Uh, for this week, you're stuck with me. So please turn with me to, go with me to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to have the words on the screen. As we continue to walk through our Lenten series on the stations of the cross. Uh, this week, we're going to look at Jesus carrying his cross and Simon carrying it for him. So Matthew 27, we're going to start in verse 32. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, 
wagging their heads and saying, You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we'll all believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me briefly. Father God, as I've already said, Lord, I just beg of you again. Lord, that regardless of what I say, God, that you would teach us this morning your truth and your word. Because we know that your truth will set us free. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you felt that just then, that emotional shift from where we started with celebration. And then this crash as we consider the crucifixion. It's kind of like waking up after Mardi Gras. To Ash Wednesday, going from parades and celebration to hearing ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Or maybe it's like traveling to Jerusalem, singing, drinking in the streets to celebrate God's salvation of your people from oppression and having not a high school band like we're used to here in our city push you aside, but a band of soldiers from the nation who rules over you push you aside push you into the people behind you to make room for one of your own people carrying a cross to his own death, massive, visible over the hordes of people in the streets like a Mardi Gras float, the cross, an intentional symbol, performance art, communicating a message of your own helplessness. Then you find out the man condemned is the same man that you had hoped would bring freedom back to your people. God would stop all of this. You pray just a few days before to God, Hosanna, meaning God, please come save us now. Now, do not wait. And here's the answer to your prayer. Seemingly undone, carrying a cross. I want you to feel what they feel, not because I'm some kind of killjoy who enjoys sadness, but sometimes we need to sit with sadness for a moment to learn beauty. Like how stars are only visible at night. The kind of intentional mourning, it's not something we like to do, but it is something we need to do. Like sleeping, and like sunset, and Sabbath. The day is glorious, but without the night beside it, the sun would be not beautiful, but relentless, and the earth beneath it would burn. We need to be in regular rhythms of moving from bright day to softer night, of celebrating, yes, but also stopping and waiting, learning to pause, remembering that we have limits. We become tired, and we need sleep. Another day is done, and we have grown older, Another year has passed, and again we are here in Lent, saying, from dust to dust. Today, eat, drink, and be merry. Decide this day whom you will serve, for tomorrow we die. Living in constant celebration is a way of ignoring the suffering of our world. We need to feel this emotional crash this morning. We need to feel the people in the streets of Jerusalem that day and their suffering, we need to tell the truth of what happened that day. We need to understand the tragedy of this moment if we're really going to understand the joy of the Christian message that Christ really is able to give us hope in the midst of hopelessness. Jesus is able to take shame and make joy out of it. He's able to reach down into death and raise us up again. So imagine just for today, being a part of the crucifixion without ever having believed before in resurrection. Imagine what the symbol of the cross meant before Jesus made it something redemptive, before he made it holy. And then imagine that symbol being carried through your streets. Imagine again yourself in the place of that crowd looking on, shoved against the people behind you awkwardly. I, I think the closest that I've ever felt to the way the people of Jerusalem felt that day 
is when my best friend from high school died of an overdose. Watching that thing that rules over him, that thing which has ruled over him for years, taken everything from him slowly, which doesn't belong, which never belonged, which seems maliciously bent on harming him and taking every joy out of his life, watching that thing win and take his life from him. All of the creativity and personality and everything which made me have hope for him. You want to scream and you want to cry or both because that person, whatever you could have done about the hopeless situation at this point, it is too late. And I think the question on everyone's mind, on everyone's lips as Jesus walked down that street, the question that would have been whispered through the crowd in tones just quiet enough not to be overheard by the soldiers would be, who is he? What did he do? Why is this happening? Why is Jesus carrying the cross? And I want to answer those questions today, but, but there's two kinds of answers that we could give, and we need to give both of them. There is a tragic human answer to that question. There is a tragic human answer, and then there is a joyful, miraculous, life-changing, divine answer as well to why Christ is carrying that cross. I'm going to start with the tragic human answer. Tragically, humanly, the cross is a symbol of death and oppression under Roman rule. Jesus was carrying the cross because the soldiers forced him to do so. It was a way of shaming him. Every one of the Roman soldiers would have been wearing a sword. They could have killed him at any moment in any number of ways. But if you take a furious person like Jesus, and I'm using the word furious there in the sense in which James Agee writes, every fury on earth has been absorbed in time as art or as religion or as authority in one form or another. If you take a furious person like Jesus, one who is striving against the spirit of the age and the way of the world, if you take a furious person and let him continue to live and work, you'll see a movement of renewal, which for Israel at this time would have looked like throwing off oppressive foreign rule. If you take a furious person and you kill him in secret, or if you kill him suddenly, you create a martyr. If you instead brand him an insurrectionist, if you strip him, if you beat him, if you mock him publicly and force him to carry the means of his own execution through a street crowded with everyone he knew, everyone who thought that maybe he was someone worth following, everyone who thought that he might be the one to save them finally from oppression and suffering, someone that they might want to emulate, if you take that person and if you crucify him by the gates of the city, if you do that, then your empire will last a thousand years and be a model of strength for those who come after. Why is Jesus carrying that cross through the streets? I called the cross a symbol earlier, performance art. What does the symbol mean? Tragically, humanly, the cross is a symbol of our own failings. Rome was taunting the people of Israel with their failings, their inability, their limited, limitedness, their inability to stop what's happening. Rome was taunting the people with the limits of their own power. Their inability to save themselves because they were divided and they were broken. And I want the cross to remind us of those same things today. Jesus is carrying the cross through the streets because of our sin, because of our limitedness. Because of our mistakes, the things that we have done and the things we have left undone, Lord, have mercy on us. We are not as strong as we think we are. The cross has become a major symbol of Christianity. We print it on our Bibles. We wear it around our necks. We tattoo it on our arms, depending if you're from New Orleans or elsewhere. <laughs> but what does it mean? We need to remember that because of our divided brokenness, sin rules over us. And we are unable to save ourselves from it. We've tried. But every time we seem to have hope, we get shoved back by the enemy to remind us that he rules over us. And then there's another cross. In whatever way 
it comes, there's always another cross coming down our streets. We need to own it. The cross is ours. It belongs to us. We are right to bear the cross on our necks and in our churches because Jesus' cross belongs to us. We need to own the cross to understand our complicity in it. Jesus did not have to come and die. That was not some sort of cosmic necessity. It was the will of God. It was spoken at the fall and repeated in the garden. It was his choice to come and die. And in death, to join us in that death, which is common to all of us, common to humanity. It was his choice because we were unable to enter into eternity. He chose to come join us in mortality. He entered into death to be with us. But Jesus' choice to enter into death changes everything. Choice is the difference between oppression and submission. Choice is the difference between freedom and the bondage of the will. And we have a God who does everything that he chooses. And what he chooses is to save the world from evil. Not to destroy and remake it, but to do the even costlier work of healing and redeeming it. I want you to understand just how much Jesus was able to change the meaning of the cross, the meaning of this symbol in our world. He took a tool of torture and shame and made it into something beautiful enough to forge it out of silver and wear around our necks and in our churches. He took a symbol of oppression and made it a symbol of freedom and life, both in this life and in eternity, both. I said earlier that there are earthly reasons why Jesus is bearing a cross, but there are also divine reasons why Jesus is bearing a cross. There are joyful, miraculous, life-changing, divine answers to the crowd's whispered questions that day. Why Jesus is carrying a cross through the streets of Jerusalem. It's that Jesus knows he's able to carry that cross. He knows he's able to do what no one else has been able to do, which is finally to rid the world of sin and brokenness. Finally, to make that change that we all know needs to happen in the world, but we've all been unable to do. He's able to open the scroll that we were not worthy to open. He's able to bring every high person low and every low person high until the highway is made straight for all of the nations to Jerusalem. Jesus is the answer to our deepest longings for the world. He is the yes to all of the promises of God. He is able to make not just this sad moment, but all sad things come untrue. And listen, church, if Jesus is able to take a cross and make it something beautiful, something that people can make out of silver and wear to church, what is he able to do with you? Whatever it is that you represent to yourself, to the people around you, whatever it is that people remember when they see you, how is he able to change you? He took a tool of torture and shame and made it something beautiful. He's able to make something beautiful of your life into something that brings his abundance of life into your family and into your relationships. He's able to make your life one that gives people hope for their own lives. Even if right now you would consider yourself to be an enemy of God, an outcast of the kingdom of God, the good news is that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. The good news is that it was the will of the Father from the very beginning to forgive us when we leave him and go our own way. In the clothes given to Adam and Eve, in the ram given to Abram, in the water, in the manna given in the desert, in every corner of our creation, we see the same repeated message. As the sun rises each day and then sets, as the rains fall, as the seasons change in their rhythms, in their repetitions, it is a message, a word spoken over and over again. It is a refrain, it is a chorus that this world will be changed from dark to light, and the thirsty will be quenched, but this life and growth will not come from us. 
Tragically, humanly, Rome is right in the message that they are preaching on the streets of Jerusalem that day. We are not able to save ourselves, or give ourselves hope, or pull ourselves up, or overthrow oppression to be free, to be perfect, to be spiritual enough, to be gods or godlike. But the good news is that we don't have to, because Christ bore that weight for us, and he was able to do everything that we are unable to do. The good news is that our God is the God who wants to be with us, that is willing to do that. Going back to our image of Christ carrying his cross, I'm always trying to place myself into the scenes we read in the Bible to understand myself as one who has taken part in these stories. I imagine myself in this scene as one of the crowd. Maybe it's because there's so many terrible things in our world that I feel like I'm just standing and watching and I'm unsure of what to do about it, how to actually help, not sure if I can actually help. So what do we do? We, we whisper, not loud enough for the authorities to hear because we don't want to be the next person carrying a cross through the streets. But there is another option of what to do in our world, and it's Simon's option. We are able, not just able, but earlier in this gospel and in the others, Jesus specifically invites us to take up our crosses and to follow him, just like Simon did in this passage. And I want us to understand this invitation. This idea of bearing a cross has been adopted into our culture and therefore misunderstood. We say when we suffer, well, this is my cross to bear. And what we mean by that is, this is something that I was destined to suffer through. As though God's goal, his will and desire, is to make people suffer. But understanding Jesus' call to carry a cross, as a call to bear the suffering that humanity has created in our sin, to only understand the suffering side of things is to only see the human answers to these questions of why Jesus is carrying the cross. And we need to see the joyful, miraculous, life-changing, divine side of Christ's call to carry our crosses and follow after him. That cr cross Simon carries is the same one that we put on our Bibles and on our necks. His call to carry a cross was a call to carry, and in a small way, to join in the sufferings of Christ, and therefore in the sufferings of humanity. It's the same cross we forge into silver. Jesus' sufferings are not an involuntary, useless suffering. He is not suffering for suffering's sake. Christ's sufferings are the cost he is willing to pay to be with us and to redeem us, to welcome us into his family. We are able, with our lives, to pay that same cost and for that same reason. Because Christ, as with Simon and Abraham before him, will be the sacrifice God provides in the end, at the end of this road that he's invited us to walk with him. I want you to notice a few things. Notice that Simon suffers shame and likely pain as he carries this enormous cross through the streets. It would be hard work, and it would be heavy. Notice that the work of the atonement, Christ's real work in this, would be, would be accomplished regardless of whether or not Simon were there. And so he is not a necessary piece. He is there because of the will of God. Notice that because of this brief moment of participation in Christ's work, every generation since this moment, Christians, the people of God, have called Simon blessed. Christ calls us not to some fruitless, involuntary suffering. He calls us to enter into and carry, in a small way, the weight of the sin of the people around us, like Simon does. And in that way, participating in the work of Christ in the world, instead of standing and watching and asking, why is this happening? Christ's call is to enter in and walk a bit of his way, a bit of his road to the cross. So my invitation to you this morning is Christ's own call to take up your cross and follow him like Simon. I would ask you to search yourselves and see what that means. This requires faith. It requires belief that Christ will be able to take whatever shame and suffering you endure. 
experience whatever you experience in following him and make it into something that is beautiful. I would also invite you to believe that God is able to make something beautiful of you. That there is hope even in the moments which seem most hopeless. And anything you carry, anything you do to walk in Christ's way is a small part that you play in Christ's work. Please pray with me. Father God, I pray this morning that you would give us wisdom, God, and conviction. Lord, that we would hear your invitation to take up our cross and follow you, God, not blindly entering into whatever we think, whatever suffering we find in the world, God, but we would do so in the same way that you did it, Lord, out of a love for humanity, God, in order to be with people. God, in order to bring redemption to them. Lord, I thank you for the grace of this call that we would even get to take up a cross like Simon and follow you. Lord, that someone might, that we might in this way be blessed to bear a part of your burden, God, which is the burden of humanity. Lord, I pray that we would understand the cross for what it is. God, a reminder of our sinfulness and brokenness and hopelessness. And a reminder of what you did in the midst of that hopelessness and helpless sinfulness. God, where you redeemed us. And you're able to make us new. God, I pray these things in Jesus' name so we know you hear us. Amen.